It started with a burning Bible. Uh, the local media called attention to my case uh, around October of 2014 uh, about the Bibles burning, about the wall markings. It led to ghost adventures coming to investigate. But did they do a thorough enough investigation of Keith's house? You know, absence of evidence does not mean evidence is absent. It just means for the time window that they were there, they didn't get anything. There's always two sides to a story. This is Keith Linder's experiences with the Bothell Hell House and the Washington State Poltergeist. Welcome to the dark side of travel. So you've dared to come jaunt with me. Thank you. Let me introduce myself. I'm Courtney Maroc, Ambassador of Dark and Paranormal Tourism for Haunt Jaunts, a destination for restless spirits who dig hauntings, true crime, horror, Halloween, and weird days. I'll be your host and guide for this listening adventure. Looks like we've been cleared for takeoff, so buckle up, sit back, and enjoy the ride. Hey everybody, today I am joined with a guest, um, Keith Linder. Did I say that part right? Yes. I got so, I got so concentrated. He it, Did you write that book, The Bothell Hell House? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought, but I just wanted to double check. So I'm like, you know what? I didn't, I'm pretty sure. But then I was like, so afraid that I was going to say brothel, but <laughs> that I didn't want to, didn't want to do that. So Bothell Hell House. And he, he, he's here to join us today to talk a little bit about that and what's happened since he's written the book. And we'll just kind of dive right in and, and just kind of say you know we'll give I guess some people might not know but I think Ghost Adventures fans definitely know what is going on here and I think you have a pretty healthy following too don't you uh yeah over the years I've developed a uh, following on YouTube which is where most of the videos and evidence uh, reside and you're right I was on Ghost Adventures um Demons in Seattle episode uh, 2015. I uh, was recently back on the Travel Channel for a new series, uh, My uh, Horror Stories. And my oh. episode or my interview is more like an interview versus an actual episode. But um, an hour-long interview uh, reenactment of the events uh, that happened in the Bothell House. And, uh, yeah, we, we could talk about the ghost adventures because... I want to I want to address uh, portions of that episode and what happened during and after that episode here. Oh well, and let me ask you, we'll we'll just dive right into that. Well, we can kind of set up like what even. Well, maybe it'll all come out. We'll we'll work it as we go. But um, did is your my horror story has that already aired or is that an upcoming series? Uh, that's already aired and it's been running reruns constantly on Travel Channel. Oh, okay. Well, yes, yeah, so it's still on there, and I, I, it's definitely on um, Xfinity or Comcast Demand. But yes, uh, my horror story is the name of the 
TV program. The name of my specific episode is Unreal Estate. Unreal Estate is my particular episode. Oh, cool. Okay. So that's something for people to check out that a lot of people watch the Travel Channel for the paranormal. Now, I don't know how much traveling they really do, but... <laughs> it's all paranormal now, the Travel Channel. <laughs> yeah, they really need to change their name. Paranormal Travel Channel. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about how did Ghost Adventures even find you to come out? Was it just because your story was out there, or how, how did that even come about? Well, uh, Ghost Adventures found me. Uh, me and my girlfriend were living in the house in Baltimore. We had been having, at the time, Ghost Adventures found us about two years of what we now know as poltergeist activity. Uh, the local media called attention to my case uh, around October of 2014 uh, about the Bibles burning, about the wall markings. And um, the, the lead reporter, Elisa Jaffe, uh, interviewed me in the home. And this is on the internet, so people can watch that interview. Um, and she heard the loud banging. She heard the loud footsteps. She told me as she was exiting the house that she was a friend or knew Dave Schrader. Uh, Dave Schrader, who's on Coast to Coast and other uh, paranormal radio shows. Um, that she would contact him. And Dave Schrader contacted me 24 hours later and asked me uh, if him and Ghost Adventures could come out to the house. So that's pretty much the domino effect of how Ghost Adventures caught wind. Um, they caught wind through David Schrader. David caught wind through the local TV reporter of Como News in Seattle. And I think Ghost Adventures came maybe three, four weeks after it was early mid-November when they came of 2014. And then the episode originally aired February 28th, 2015. Oh, wow. So it all really relatively happened pretty quick in this. It was pretty quick. It was, it was pretty quick. And um, the response, uh, the time of them getting there, and even the investigation, what a lot of people are not aware, maybe your listeners will find out for the first time today, and I hope they do, is Ghost Adventures were only in the house for us investigating for five hours. They didn't, they came in with two sets of crews, an A crew and a B crew. B crew spent maybe three and a half days in the home, but they're not investigating. They're doing reenactments. They're getting, me in, they're getting statements from me and Tina. They're doing wide shots, angle shots, shots of the neighborhood of the house. And because they're doing, it's a show. They're doing, they're doing a show. The A team, which is Zach's team, comes in the last day. I believe it was a Thursday, and they're they're not really there that long. TV makes it look like they spent a amount of time on the property. With us, it was five hours, uh, and they stuck to the schedule. They gave me a, an itinerary before they arrived of what the schedule looked like and our availability, and they were only there five hours. And some of the controversy that me and Tina received of individuals, many Ghost Adventures fans, um, were saying, oh, it's all fake. Zach Baggins proved it was fake. Uh, it was Tina. It was Keith. And that's farthest from the truth because Zach and his crew left with zero evidence. There was little time investigating in the time frame that they were there. And they didn't capture any evidence. And 
you know, absence of evidence does not mean evidence is absent. It just means for the time window that they were there, they didn't get anything. And, and me talking to other paranormal teams before, during, and after Ghost Adventures told me you really have to spend a considerable amount of time. Uh, five hours is nothing. That's a second in paranormal eyes when you're going after a haunting, a poltergeist haunting, which is an intelligent haunting. Uh, these entities can buy their time. They can wait. They're not going to always be easily accessible uh, to the investigator. And that's on purpose because the entity wants to make the home occupants look like they're crazy, like they're foolish, like they're overreacting, like they're exaggerating. It's not as bad as, as it seems. And I think they got the best of ghost adventures by doing that. Oh, no. Well, that's disappointing to hear on a lot of levels. That, but it's actually not the first time that I've heard <laughs> heard about a paranormal show um, not quite conveying the full picture, or in maybe staging a couple of things in some circumstances. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah, because it, it's yeah, it's a, it's a show. It's an entertainment value. It's a ooh. It's an ah value. And um, I truly believe had they caught evidence, then the show would have spun it differently, meaning they're coming in riding on white horses, singing hurrah, hurrah. We saw Keith and Tina's problem, but um, no, five hours. And I just, I mean, that's not a lot of time to really uh, investigate uh, a residential home as ours, which that much activity. Portuguese activity is very elusive, it's very evading. Um, you can ask paranormal psychologists or paranormal researchers, nobody still knows the root cause. There's a lot of theories out there, but still ultimately each case is its own case. You got hundreds of poltergeist cases out there and they're all different while at the same time they have similarities. Yeah, and, and I think what's unfortunate, so, did that kind of taint you? Like, would you, were you kind of hoping, like, before they came, were you like, oh, maybe they'll help give me some answers or figure out what's going on? Yeah, we did, because keep in mind, me and Tina, we were thrown into the paranormal two years ago. We we moved into this house, and this is a brand new house, pretty much. It was built in 2005. We moved to 2012, two-story home, lovely home and lovely neighborhood. And me and Tina had our own separate places of residence, so... We were not having activity where we were living prior, and we were not playing with any Ouija boards or looking into the mirror saying Bloody Mary or anything of that nature. We just bought a house and moved in and want to live our everyday life. So when the activity started happening around us, we were caught unaware. Some things we did right, some things we did wrong. But when we heard Ghost Adventures had an interest, and I never knew or heard of Ghost Adventures, but I, 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 I knew of Travel Channel. So I was thinking, these guys travel the world. They do investigative research. They have unlimited resources they can tap into. They, maybe they can get uh, bigger wigs than, than themselves and maybe get more of the churches involved because we're having real phenomena going on here. So, yeah, we had our high hopes. We had, we not, we didn't, Mantin did not look at it as a short-term endeavor because when they came, they spent, like I said, Zach and I were here for, I mean, five hours, and Ghost Adventures as a whole, the other guys, the team itself, were here three and a half days. 
and then they left. But we thought it would be more investigative coming after that. We thought there would be more intermittent visits, um, maybe even move in into the house, maybe live there. And we thought because the communication totally stopped, it came to an abrupt halt uh, the day that they left. We did not hear from them again until when the episode aired. So when the episode aired February of 2015, when the world saw it, that's the first time me and Tina saw it. That's the first time me and Tina got feedback of what they found or didn't find in the house. So you can sort of imagine two and a half months have now passed and we're totally caught unaware and we're like, oh, wow. Okay, but no more, no, no more reaching out, no more, hey, how are things doing? No more, hey, we're going to send so-and-so who has this background to come live with you guys, and he's going to keep in contact and touch with us. Uh, because believe it or not, um, other researchers did come to the home a year and a half after, Steve, after Zach and them, and I'm talking about parapsychologist Steve Mara and his chief researcher, Don Phillips, uh, from the UK. These guys came almost halfway around the world. But they, having done this for 30-odd years or more, knew before they ar arrived at my house that you have to live there. And they lived in my house for two and a half weeks. And Nikki Novell and her team, Nikki Novell is a paranormal researcher on the East Coast. Uh, her and her team lived in the house for three and a half weeks. And house monitored it for eight months. So the treasure trove of evidence uh, Nikki and Steve Merrick got uh, was a result of them knowing you sort of have to live in Ground Zero, not visit Ground Zero. You have to live at Ground Zero versus visit, and that's what Ghost Adventures did was they visited. They didn't live in it, so it was a big difference. Oh, no, so you had no idea before the show aired, like they, Zach never said, hey, Keith, thanks so much. This is, oh, you no. know, Oh, no, oh. no, no, not even, hey, thanks for making me a cup of coffee or, hey, show me in your living room. Because keep in mind, as a, me and Tina, we're, I mean, we're house occupants, right? But we're also host and hostess. And you come into our home, we're going to, we're hosting you. We're, we want you to feel welcome, you know, sit your crates down, your equipment down, and do whatever y'all got to do. I mean, we're, we're giving you our house. We're over here sitting in a corner, basically, because we don't know. We don't know how to investigate. And if you ask us a question, we're going to give you an honest answer. But our house is your house for the duration that you're here. Comb through it thoroughly. Please go through this house with a fine-tooth comb. And if you get stuck or if you have a question, ask us. But And we did. We were very hospitable. But then come time when, the, when they left, um, yeah, it just went cold. It was just like It was like one of the weirdest... Uh, relationships of, okay, we're here, we're gone, bye-bye. You know, even when you go to have a health procedure, a surgery procedure, even when they release you, a nurse or a care nurse, or maybe sometimes even the physician will call you and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, you, you good? You know, you, you had surgery two weeks ago, we're just calling on to check up on you, but we're going to do follow-ups. You're going to come in two weeks and we're going to take those stitches off you. There's always some sort of follow-up. And with us, there was no follow-up. There was no reach out. There was no thank you to say, hey, you guys are swell. You know, we ordered pizza and, they, you know, they ate it. But it was, it, was, it, was, it was nothing like that. It was weird. It was a weird exchange that totally caught me and Tina unaware. Wow, that's, 
that's disappointing to hear too. I I would have hoped that they they would have been more um, amiable or just more involved. I guess I I think that's catching me. I kind of knew about that they maybe weren't there for the whole lockdown like they make it out to look like a lot of times, yeah. but I I kind of felt like well they must keep in touch with the people and. Apparently not. <laughs> so that's a little disappointing. It's not with us. I can't. I can't vouch for any other uh, residential place that they visited. But I know for us, and I put this in my first book, the emails exchange that we had prior to them coming. I put all those email exchanges in my first book. Um, I wish I could have put the email exchanges we had after they left, but I don't have any. Oh. Okay. And then, so wait, so first book, so then how many books now are you up to? Uh, there's just two books. The oh, two Bothell, books? Yeah, The Bothell Hell House um, is basically tells the story from the first day me and Tina moved in, which was May 1st, 2012. Uh, first chapter, I believe, starts with the kid cough, the infamous um, distinctive kid cough we heard the day we went to sign the papers. In book one, the Bothell House ends uh, with me uh, as four years of total chronological order of me and Tina living in the house. And it ends toward the end of the book with me uh, making the decision to leave. It's now 2016. Steve Maradon fellows have come in the home. They found an enormous amount of evidence. They released their findings to the paranormal community. And me and Tina sort of got our credibility back. We sort of got our claim back. And now I felt it was time to leave the house, especially on that high wave of, okay, there is something going on there. And plus four years is just enough. It was showing signs of activity resurfacing. So that ends book one. Book two, which is called Attachments, Poltergeist of Washington State Part 2 picks up where book one left off, which was the last three months of me in the home. I'm sort of winding down everything. I'm fielding questions from the paranormal community about the findings of Nikki and Steve. But book two is answering three questions that book one never could address because, like I said, book one was all the activity and us living with it and us dealing with it. But book two, I had to write almost immediately after book one because there's three fundamental questions that were still unanswered. Number one was, why is the house haunted? Why this house versus the 80-odd other houses in the Bothell neighborhood that Keith and Tina lives in? Well, we know now. We know why the house was the way it is. So that's in book two. Also in book two is... The wall writings, the black oil. I don't know if you saw the pictures I sent you or if yeah. you see them on TV. Of uh, the black oily substance on the wall. Uh, I always get asked, what is that stuff made out of? And once again, I thought Ghost Adventures was going to take some of that wall uh, back to wherever they go to have it analyzed, but they didn't. So the question was still unanswered, but we did, I did have the wall substance analyzed and vetted and we now know what it's made out of 
So that was question number two, the answer to, and that's in book two. And then finally, the probably the most important question of all, at least for me, was will you be followed? Will Keith Lender be followed once he moves out of this house? And I can tell you based on the pages, the, the amount of pages in the book of 330 odd pages, yes. Uh, you know, I, I was followed. And what is that like? What is what what happened once I moved out? What sort of activity have I had or uh, keep having? And so you combine all those three questions and the answers into them, the answers to them, you definitely have a, a, a book two on your hands, as well as all the evidence that Steve, Mara, Don Phillips, uh, and Nikki and her team found. Uh, the parapsychology or the scientific establishment of parapsychology that Steve Mara leads in the UK. Uh, their first visit to the house, they encountered or uncovered, I should say, uh, 424 EVPs. Holy cow. Uh, over 80% of these EVPs are listed as Class A um, EVPs. Uh, I'm not talking about low noise, grunt sounds, hard to detect noise. Hey, it could be a whisper, it could be a truck backing out of a parking lot. No, I'm talking about conversations. I'm talking about multiple spirit voices, male, female, uh, child. There were a few child voices captured. There were a lot of uh, female voices captured. There were a lot of voices with Irish accents. And that was just their first visit to the home. They made two repeated trips to the home, Steve, Mara, and Dawn did. Uh, the second trip, they had counted, I believe, 120-something-odd EVPs. Once again, Class A, Class B, in addition to all the other anomalies like the uh, EMF disparities and whatnot as well as witnessing eye phenomena or movement phenomena uh, themselves uh, and hearing disembodied voices in the home themselves. Stephen Don heard the disembodied voices numerous times. Uh, they saw objects move at will. Uh, they saw a ball teleport through the kitchen table. So these are just some of the few things that are in book one and book two that your listeners, if they're listening today, can go and comb and read and click on the actual video link and hear the voices themselves. And you, they can get that the books on um, Amazon, right? Yeah, book one and book two, The Bothell Hell House, uh, on Amazon as well as in Portuguese or Attachments, Portuguese of Washington State, as on Amazon. Google Keith Linder, it's going to take you right to them. But um, yeah, in each book, I made it. I wanted the book to be interactive. I wanted to not just have a person sit down and just read page per page per page per page per page. I mean, there's a lot of info in there. But I also wanted the listener to, when you get to Chapter 12, when titled Loud Bang, um, me being an IT professional, I was fortunate to capture some of the loud bangs. And sometimes I left the camera running continuously when we go to bed, me and Tina, and a shoe would be thrown or an iron would be thrown or you hear a loud bang. And the camera would capture that meaning the loud bang. So you can hear that. You can click on the video. The video has been shortened to, you know, 20 minutes versus the eight hours that it was running to where you can listen and wait for the loud bang to appear um, and then judge for yourselves as well as hear the voices. Uh, it's not me and Tina's voices. These are different voices. 
And this is spread out throughout the chapter. Whatever the event happened, I put it in the chronological order in which it occurred in that specific chapter. So when I come home and I see my house destroyed or the wall writings for the first time, there's video of that, of me walking in my office, seeing my office destroyed, the new wall, 666, uh, upside down cross, upside down man, stick figure. Um, yeah, listen, your viewers or your listeners can listen to that. And more importantly, uh, if they have headsets on, listen to the murmurs and the voices talking underneath mine as I'm surveying my own damage. Because let me tell you, it really, when you hear it for the first time like I did, and I never heard the term EVP until somebody told me what that was and what that is, oh, it just really riddles the mind because you're like, what is that? How can that even happen? Yeah, that's, you know, I do a podcast with my, um, two of my, my friends, Dee Dee and Sarah, it's called The Haunt Mess, and we, we, we don't have to even leave her, I don't know what's happening, it so far has never happened when I'm just doing this podcast, it only happens with them, and we have the weirdest things, and it just, it, they're more investigators. I'm more, I just like to travel around and, you know, very interested in the paranormal. But even them, they're like, I, I don't even know what's happening. Like, it just, it, it just gets you when you hear that because you, you just, you're like, wait, how can this even be happening? It's, it's very yeah. unnerving. Yeah. I mean, you hear conversations. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. And it's in book one, Steve Mer and Dawn are setting up, um, video equipment in the hallway. They're, they're trying to get ready for the night shift, I, sh I should say, of them investigating till sunrise. And they're setting up equipment in the hallway. And upon review of that, of them setting up video equipment, um, you hear two male voices. And one of the male voices is whispering, it's a camera. It's a camera. And it's talking to the other voice. And they're, they're sort of they're trying to guess what equipment Steve and Dawn are setting up. And they keep saying, it's a camera, it's a camera, and over and over. And then finally the other voice says the word night cam. And the word night cam is not in Steve or Dawn's vocabulary. Uh, Steve and Dawn are from the UK, and they have a strong British accent, as you will hear when you listen to that video on my YouTube channel. Um, the voices that are saying it's a camera do not have British accent uh, and it's two male voices and they're very clear and very distinct. Um, nobody I know uses the terminology night cam, but um, it makes sense that the spirits would say the word night cam because two, the last three years, that's all I've been sort of bringing into my home is the infrared cameras to try to capture phenomena on my own. So they're used to visitors, myself included, uh, standing up cameras on tripods in the home and then going to bed. And now you have Steve and Don doing something similar, but they have way better equipment than I do. They have very, way newer equipment than I do. Uh, puts mine to shame. And the spirits are very curious about that. They're so curious that they're, they're, they're really underneath Steve and Don saying, it's a camera, it's a camera, and trying to figure out what exactly the equipment Steve or Dawn are setting up. It was, it, when I heard that, um, it really put a new perspective, for me it did, on, you know, 
life after death, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's so. And oh, before I forget to ask this, how do people, in case they don't already know, what's your YouTube? How do they find you on there? Uh, I will give them the long URL because it's extremely long, but they can just type in Keith L. Go to YouTube and in the search bar, Keith Space L, and it'll bring you immediately to my channel. There's over oh. 600 videos uh, on my channel, so you'll know it's me. You'll start seeing things like Bothell, Hell House, or Demons in Seattle, and you'll see me. And um, those videos, um, they'll, they'll they'll be able to see right away that like okay. Okay, that's good to know. Um just so that people, I was like, I don't, <laughs> I try not to assume that people know and help them out, but they might already know. So if, if you know, when you're listening, then just, you know, ignore this part, fast forward a little. <laughs> um, so what about now you're in your new house and you're, are you and Tina still together? I think you said you weren't, but uh, no longer together. Unfortunately, uh, the, uh, the, the bad showing of how she was portrayed on, Demons in Seattle, and then the events happening in the house uh, put a strain on our relationship to oh. where we were no longer together. No. Oh, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry to hear that. That's, I think that's something that people can't appreciate because most of us are, we just use social media. Some of us are trolls. Some of us aren't. You know, some of us are just on there honestly looking for right. answers or trying to make friends or whatever. But Wow, when you suddenly are cast in the national spotlight and maybe not in such a favorable portrayal, yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, that's like a nightmare. That's a nightmare right there. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard to, because nobody likes to be called a liar. I mean, me and Tina, no. we were having a, and we still do, we were having a very successful, productive life. And we were, we were in our mid-40s at the time, and nobody's sitting around their couch after moving into a new house. So you know what? Let's fake a Portuguese haunting. Let's, let's burn some Bibles. Let's write on some walls. And keep in mind, we were renting this establishment. Our homeowner knows everything that's going on because we're keeping him in, in, in the loop. No homeowner in his rightful mind is going to let tenants burn walls and burn Bibles in his house and then go public with it. You know, and then go just like, oh, they would put a stop to it. They would put a cease and desist. They would evict us out. They would kick us out. We'd be in all kind of court. And to hear the trolls or hear the skeptics say, like, oh, they made it up or their attention seek. Really? Nobody nobody seeks attention for this stuff. I, my job knew about this because they see it on the news and they see Keith folding his burnt Bible on his kitchen table. They know they know Keith is not setting fires to Bible. Who wants to work with a guy and say, "Hey, Keith, how was your week?" And, oh, I burnt two Bibles today. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody wants does that. And I'm not, so it was it was always uh, me scratching my head, like, how do people make that leap to they're faking it or they're they're attention seeking or it's Tina or it's him and they're spray painting on the wall. And I'm like, y'all must really have a low regard. For the humans to think that we just woke up one day and said we're going to burn three Bibles as if one wasn't enough, or <laughs> spray paint. My, my mom is still alive. My my family, I have relatives. They didn't. My mother raised her son to fake up a, a poacher guy's haunting. How does that conversation come up on Thanksgiving? Hey Keith, how's that hoaxing going? 
<laughs> it's just the logic always never made sense to me how people made that leap of they're faking. That's yeah, yeah, and it's funny because some people do fake, and they 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 are definitely they're you know they're totally the attention seekers and like you like you said they're you know why do people like that's personally fascinates me like I I, I want to talk to somebody who's an admitted hoaxer because I want to know why why and you know somebody who's been called out not somebody I mean yeah. it's been called out but admitted it not somebody such as yourself I'm not saying you're a hoaxer I'm just saying that. Why? What's the mentality? Like, I, cause, like, what you've gone through, it just can't be fine. It was two years before Ghost Adventures caught the story. It was four years until I finally moved out. Um, The number, who who hoaxes that long? You're right. There there are hoaxing on the internet for people to gain viewership or likes on their YouTube video. But But why would you live your life like that? You wouldn't. Yeah, they do that. But to say somebody is going to move into a house and all this is easily verifiable, and you know, I'll, I'm glad we were renting the home and owning it because nobody's going to host and set fire to their own home, and it's not theirs to set fire to to begin with. And like I say, it went public uh, two years after the fact of us having horrendous activity. And that was still going on, but you can find no record of me getting kicked out. You can find no record of arson. You can find no record of vandalism, meaning self-vandalism. And like I said, book two, we know what the wall writing stuff is made out of. And if your listeners are really, uh, some who are really skeptic, then look and see for yourself and find out what the wall writings were made of. And you're going to know automatically it's not something you can buy in a store. It's not something you can buy at Home Depot, a paint store, Walmart, or anything, or Sears. And it would have been good if Ghost Adventures had analyzed it because then they could have been able to ones or been in a better position than me to explain it. But they did it. I had to continue what they didn't do. And I found out what the wall stuff was made of. And now all that's on the internet. So... That's on my channel. It's in my book. But yeah, the, the, the trolls and I know. So what tro- was it? Can you say or I do? You... Oh, the, the the wall substance. Uh, I can say it because it's already out there on YouTube. Is the black oily substance was determined to be bone black. Bone black is a very uh, high black pigmented paint. It's organic. Uh, it's also called bone char. And bone black bone char is made out of incinerated buffalo or bison bone. It's okay. used. It was wow. Used, it was used in the uh, 16, 17, 1800s. It's a form of pictography paint. Uh, Native Americans use it for pictogram, for calligraphy. Uh, Rembrandt and Picasso, it was their favorite go to form of black paint due to its organic compound. And it produces, get ready for this, it produces its own binding agent called Dipple's Oil. Dipple's Oil is a derivative of bone black. And Dipple's Oil, which is a yellowish substance, which we had also leaking or seeping through our walls a lot, um, is basically the adhesive to the bone black. It serves as an adhesive. It's what allows the, the paint meaning bone, char, bone, ash, 
to adhere to the wall surface. Um, so yeah, when you take a buffalo bone, uh, everything except the head, everything except the skull, and I think it was incinerated up to 1600 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe, you will get a black ash, but it's ash, now keep in mind, it's ash. It's very dry-like substance, and you would have to uh, pour from that uh, the dipples oil to make it applicable or to be used as paint. But it was highly used by Native Americans, and that's what we found in our house, and it made sense. Some of the reasons why the house was haunted ties back to the Native Americans in Bothell, Plus, you have the upside-down stick figure, which is definitely a pictogram, which is definitely a Native American symbol, and it means a man has died. It means a man has died or a man is about to die. And anytime the Native Americans drew that symbol, it means a man was either murdered or died from like a smallpox or something like that or a disease uh, of unnatural causes. So. Um, all that is what I found, not what the researchers found, is what I found, but I sure had wished they would have found it first because they could have took it further than I did because, once again, it, it proves to people you just can't look at something on the wall and say, ah, that's spray paint. Oh, it looked like it was spray painted. Steve Marin Don looked at the wall markings closely and could tell some of these wall markings, no, you can't, you can't spray paint that. And definitely, you and I, you can't go buy bone black off a shelf anywhere in town. I dare anybody listening now to call their Home Depot and ask for a gallon or a canister or a spray can of bone black, and uh, the person on the phone is probably going to hang up on you. <laughs> They're probably going to say, what? <laughs> what are you they talking did. about? Exactly. Is it bone white? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're gonna, exactly. That's what they're going to do. Because I tried it already. I, I tried. I never heard of Bone Black before. Uh, only a few art galleries that I called throughout the country had even heard of it. Um, but it's out there and it's easy to go Google it and people can Google it and see. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, incinerated buffalo bone. Now, where did the Portuguese get the buffalo bones? I don't know. But it, it is interesting. It, that it, is. And that's a good, you have to wonder, so is this poltergeist, were they a former, you know, um, artist within, you know, were they Native American, was, were they part of some kind of a tribe, like, was that yeah. their, their position within the tribe was to communicate and, and yeah. well, why are they reaching out? I mean, it's interesting. So, but you said, I think in your email, we've been kind of corresponding a little that since you moved into your new place, well, I have a couple questions. So your old place, do you know if the landlord has any activity there or it just totally moved with you or did it move with you? I guess I'm kind of spoiling my question a little. <laughs> well, I mean, um, the, the reason why I named book two attachments is because number one, yeah, I, I was still, I'm still having activity. Um, it's very intermittent. It's very low scale. It's nothing of the caliber of the Bothell home. What I want your listeners to also know is a family who lived in the house five years before we did had similar activity. I was able to find them. And they told us via email the house was a house from hell. It was the beginning of the end in that place for them. Cabinet doors swung open all the time. TVs went off and on. 
Kids reported hearing footsteps. The nanny, they had a live-in nanny who reported footsteps. Uh, the son, one of the, the children, always reported seeing shadowy figures. Uh, the mother or the wife who I talked to uh, the most uh, was suicidal. She tried to commit suicide four times in the home. Oh, she, she felt the home was a bad place. They never, uh, it seemed like things went south the day they moved in. Um, and then they moved. They were in the home for maybe eight to 11 months and then they moved. It was enough, enough. But they wouldn't, they didn't come from the viewpoint of the house being haunted. They just felt like the house was evil. The, oh. house, the house was evil. It was just like a bad luck, like a bad cloud had formed over the house and them. Uh, they got the, the husband and wife got divorced in the home, sort of like me and Tina when we broke up in the home. Oh. So when I moved out, I had already been having activity other than at home. I, I've had activity at work. I've had activity in hotel rooms where I travel. I travel three times, well, maybe once every other month on business. So I've had sheets yanked off me while sleeping. I've had uh, the tapping on the headboard, the knocking of the headboard, the yanking of the pillow from underneath me. Um, the, the, the forever constant that I still have today are the, the phantom heartbeats I hear underneath my pillow, underneath the mattress, as well as the poking and prodding constantly while sleeping. Um, that still remains. So that followed me to my new place of residence. An occasional teleportation ask port of an item, a port of an item, an occasional electronic issue, and an occasional shadowy figure appearance. But um, night terrors, nightmares still remain. The poking and prodding still happening. The last physical phenomena uh, that I can attest to, meaning an object moving, was uh, November of last year, where a cup that was sitting on a uh, table uh, just all of a sudden reappeared underneath the table, shattered in pieces. There was no travel whatsoever. It was just one second on top of the table, next second's underneath the table, obliterated. Uh, and that happened in public. I was in a public restaurant, and my date at the time saw that. Notice I said at the time. Um, and then um, a water puddle phenomena happened day one of me moving into my new place of water dripping from a dry ceiling who, once again, I had the building engineers test and analyze and they could not determine root cause. They wrote it down as we don't know what caused that because it stopped 30 minutes later, but they were a witness to it. They were a witness to the water puddle phenomena. And that's a poltergeist characteristic. There are documented cases of inexplicable water appearances, be it from the ceiling to the surface or just surface, but nobody know where the water originated. So that was on day one. And basically, um, yeah, that's it. Wow. That's great. So, so there's like, this is very unfortunate because if you want to get help or somehow, you know, unattach from whatever this is, this poltergeist, there's really, there's, there's not a lot of places to turn it's not like like we were saying or you were saying earlier with you go to the doctor and they follow up with you I mean that's just people are like well okay sorry that's your thing I mean, yeah there's no I mean uh to each investigator's credit who did find evidence uh, a lot have tried to spear me in a direction or steer me in a direction of 
who can help me? Um, we haven't given up. Um, keep in mind, it's just, what do you do? I mean, it, it, it blows everybody's mind who researched my house, and by research, I mean who lived there, who've captured phenomena, who witnessed phenomena, and they come, and I mean, Steve Murray's been doing this for 30 odd years, and the parapsychology community review the evidence and they're like, we've never seen anything like this. What we thought we knew about Portuguese, if what Keith's house, what Keith's house is saying to us is we might have to reevaluate Portuguese phenomena because keep in mind the, the common thread right about now or the common belief is Portuguese phenomena originates because you have an adolescent teenager, a stressful child, somebody going through puberty, or a stressful female in the home, which I never bought into that. That just doesn't make sense to me um, because you have 7 billion people in the world and half of the 7 billion are women. And there's just so much there. We, we would have, there would just be more cases being reported. But uh, there is a portion of the, of the paranormal community that says Portuguese phenomena being an, an intelligent haunting could be discarnate or incarnate spirits uh, there is a demonic element to it. Portuguese are known to set fires. Uh, they're known to have their victims or their um, the people they're haunting cough up needles. Okay. There's just a whole bunch of things that you really got to dig and open up the vanilla folder online about Portuguese in different cases to realize now that there's something more there than just this telekinesis there because telekinesis only plays a small portion of the activity. We had fires, we had objects move and levitate, go through walls, go through tables, shadowy figures, footsteps, apparition sightings, gray lady apparition, white lady apparition, uh, TVs turning on, they're not even plugged in. So many violations of the laws of physics that you're witnessing suggest this is way beyond telekinesis. If you're going to tell me it's telekinesis, you're going to have to tell me how is the TV able to power itself? It's been unplugged. There's no power source coming to it. Um, I've talked to countless TV electrical engineers. There's nothing to make that happen. So um, those things are still to be determined. But for me, um, yeah, has it gotten better? As soon as I start thinking it's gotten better, it seems they make it known that they're still here. Like I said, when I'm starting to think that, oh, maybe they've left, maybe it's wearing down. But I'm now lived outside the house. Well, we're 2000, 2020. I moved out 2016. Oh, wow. It's four years, and I'm still having physical phenomena. Once again, on a lower scale, but I still have it. Uh, it's about three months to six months where the, I'm talking about physical phenomena. The nightmares and night terrors and the poking and the prodding and the sheet tugging and the heartbeats, that's every night. That's been every night for the last four years. And that shows no sign of letting up. And once again, if individuals want to hear those heartbeats themselves, it's on my YouTube channel. It's in my book, too, because I went out and bought expensive, very expensive, sensitive digital thethoscopes. Um, and captured the heartbeats because I could hear them clearly, but you can only tell people so much and they still kind of look at you funny because what is a heartbeat doing coming from your pillow? 
what is a heartbeat door coming from your mattress? I'm not even on a mattress. And you put these digital stethoscopes that can magnify sound 100 to 1,000 times. And it's digital, therefore it captures it and makes it to an AVI file, MP3 file, and easy accessible online. And that's what I did. I put it online so individuals can hear those heartbeats. I've had the medical, the medical community hear the heartbeats, meaning heart surgeons and doctors, nurses, EMT, and the heartbeats are not human. They're not human. And anybody, you might have somebody in the medical field listening to you that's a nurse or part-time nurse or a doctor or whoever, listen to the heartbeats and you'll know within a few seconds because people in the medical field know heartbeats like the back of their hand because that's the first thing they take do when they walk into a doctor's office is take your heartbeat so they know. And people can listen to that and make their own decision as to where that is coming from and why is it coming from. And that's what's interesting about that is, I'm sorry, I'm getting some feedback in here. Um, you, um, you hear those heartbeats even when you're traveling. Yes, at hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah. so it's not like, oh, just get a new mattress or a new pillow because that's, that comes with you. Yeah, I tried that. You you bring up a good point. Yeah, I tried that remedy um, several times. And, and like I said, mattresses are expensive. But hey, yes. you, you want an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, right? So you're throwing away maybe a $800,000 mattress or a $1,000 bed. But hey, if that's what you got to take for me not to hear heartbeats anymore, I'll do that. And I did that two times. But guess what? You still hear them. You still hear them. And then when I start hearing them in the hotel... Usually on day two, because when I travel, I travel at weeks at a time. So I'm in the hotel five nights or four nights. And usually the first night, it's okay. It usually takes them about a day or two days to catch up with me. And I just, I don't know if it's really catching up. I'm just saying that because it takes them 48 hours before I start hearing the heartbeats again. Oh. Yeah. Do you ever just wish, like, maybe I'll go someplace that they'll really like and they'll just stay here instead? (laughs) Um, I wish. I mean, I've been to Hawaii. I wish they stayed there. I've traveled over five hours of salt water. I wish they would stay there. But they are very, yeah, they are, no, no. no. Oh, man. I think that's what I'd be saying. <laughs> hey, if you happen to see anywhere you like when we're here, just feel free. Make yourself at home. I won't miss you. Right. You <laughs> or, or, yeah, maybe just say, my feelings won't be hurt, really. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just making a joke. Yeah, they could have bring your carry-on luggage, not your check-in luggage. Yeah. (laughs) And hopefully, it'll get lost, and you can stay searching for that and haunt the baggage. Baggage people won't like me for saying that, but. (laughs) (laughs) But do do have you ever tried, like, which techniques? Like, have you ever said, like, hey, okay. Clearly, you want my attention. Let's be friends. Like, I know a lot of people will say, you know, just don't don't annoy me or please leave me alone or you yeah. can stay. We can live together. But have you ever tried, like, all right, you want to be friends? Let's be friends. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I've said those words and phrases inside the Bothell house and, and, and even over here. Um, but seeing them with your naked eye... Um, there's no friendship there. There's no, there's no, there's no, even if, you know, they're not your friends. 
they, they don't want to be. They don't want to be your friends. Um, we would that make them more mad? Do you think if you said something like, would that? Would that? Uh, it did like, in the bottle. Oh. It did in the bottle. Every time we would try to talk and say, "Hey, can you guys be quiet?" And I could me and Tina get eight hours of sleep. You know, I've been racking around, and you know, if you're not gonna go into the light or whatever. It'd be good if we, we, but they would throw stuff at you or they would make the activity worse while you're sleeping. It's almost as if they were saying to themselves, ah, we're getting on, oh, it's working. Oh. We're getting on their nerves. Yeah. Oh. And they would double down, triple down on it. Um, and That's one time, rude. You know, yeah, and you get very, it's very disheartening when me and Tina are smudging because we're advised to smudge. To clear their energy, and we and we would try anything once. So we're, we're we're trying all these recommendations, and some would quiet the house down for a few days. Some would make it worse right then and there. But here we are smudging, and you come back minutes later, and they've taken your smudge stick and wrote on the wall with it, which implies, you know, psychologically to you, me and Tina, that that doesn't work. You know, it's almost like. You know, you shoot a bullet at Superman, he's going to spit it out back at you. It's like, dude, really? You know? And they, and so they would take your sage stick and they would manipulate them. Sometimes right there in front of you. Uh, one of the paranormal investigators uh, had her sage stick light by itself. She was like two seconds from lighting it herself and the spirits lit it for her. Like, oh, we'll get that for you. You know, you ever see wow. those movies where the person's about to light a cigarette, the person standing next to him does it for him, like... Let yeah. me get that for you. Well, that's what it was like when she was about to light her own sage stick and the spirits lit it for her. So you see that and you're like, okay, well, that's not going to work because they're lighting up sage sticks. Oh, my gosh. They don't even. So, like, did you, I'm sure you probably have, but, like, the salt around the house and all that stuff, oh, none yeah. of that. Salt around the house, window seal, front door, um, all kind of salt. You name it, kosher salt, Epsom salt. Wow. Uh, I wonder if they just like laugh at us when we try these things and they're like, ha, you humans, you're so stupid. You don't even uh, know who we are. Well, um, go to the YouTube, YouTube channel and watch the uh, exorcism video where Father Roy is conducting the exorcism of the house. It's a four, five hour video. I think it's broken down to three parts. And look in the description section because I didn't find these people who watched the video found them. There are EVPs throughout the session of the exorcism where the spirits, for for lack of a better word, are just ridiculing the entire proceedings. Oh, wow. They're just, I mean, they're really having a good time with, because, you know, I think there was, he, he gave me a laundry list of what to have at the home when he arrived. He wanted pita bread, uh, distilled water, a gallon of it, uh, olive oil. Uh, red wine and salt. He wanted these items easily accessible when he arrived because they're part of the proceedings. So throughout the five-hour exorcism, he's, you know, using these things, and you hear the spirits just talking underneath him and us, and they're just like, "Whatever, dude." You know, they just they they really don't care. That's see, that's interesting because I feel personally, if I was ever a spirit and not a nice one that like people you know they're always like let's bring the religion in and let's bring them like but I don't really adhere to that right now so I don't know how that would like I would laugh at you and so that's interesting that that is exactly what's happening 
Yeah, and that's known in poltergeist cases where the religion aspect of it, the Bible, and keep in mind, they've already burnt three of my two are still missing. Uh, they've burnt several crosses. They've written up down, upside down crosses on the wall. Um, we later learned through the history of Bothell, when Bothell was founded in the mid-1800s, um, through the arrival of a lot of Irish settlers, there you go, they weren't Irish, a lot of the settlers were Irish, and they brought their religion with them, and they just really persecuted the Native Americans with their religion, and oh. didn't treat them for smallpox. And so now you have a Native American spirit who's probably roaming around Bothell and made its way into our house. Be I'm coming out the woodwork with all this Christian paraphernalia saying, get out of my house. And yeah, they're going to be highly upset. They're going to be highly, um, you know, burning Bibles or burning sage sticks and saying this and this and that and not going to work on them uh, for that very reason. But 500 Native Americans in Bothell alone were uh, died from smallpox and put in mass graves. Oh, no. And um, the Christian community at that time was like, we're glad we're done with them. We were glad that they, you know, those that don't convert deserve, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but those that don't convert to Christianity deserve to die from smallpox. So, And, and that's a very, um, I just, I, I, I've always known about the smallpoxing, but I didn't, and I knew that Native Americans in our country have had a very tumultuous and unfair um, showing, but I, I guess the thing I didn't have an appreciation for, I recently visited Alcatraz for the second time, and this time was a little bit different, and I got a tour from a guard, they're, they're having a um, red, I forget what they call the, it's a special exhibit, go, exhibit going on right now, red Indian power on Alcatraz, or something like that, and it's about when they, you know, took it back over in 1969, for a little bit but she had said you know way before that when when people were still settling california that the government back in like the 18 i think it, it had to have been the 1840s i think it was right around the gold rush time he put um a price on he would pay people 50 dollars for yeah. any head or hand or body yeah of an Indian. So they were dying at a, you know, a rapid rate because people were killing them and they just didn't even look at them as human. So that, I mean, that's really a hard, I mean, put the poor spirit, if they're that upset, I mean, that's a lot of anger, but why direct it at you? I don't think you did anything to them. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, the, uh, the other part to why the house was haunted, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for readers for reading in the book, but it was a two prong approach. Um, there was a, um, how can I say it? Uh, there wasn't a death in the house. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we confirmed that, but something equally worse did take place in the house, uh, prior to us moving in that involved the previous tenants. So it, it was just like a, a, a soup, if you will, of bad energy, meaning being brought in from humans, meaning residents, and then bad energy left over from the history of Bothell. And once again, like I said, we still, uh, as a whole, don't, as the paranormal community as a whole, we still haven't really got a grasp of poltergeist phenomena. We really, it's one of, it's one of the, it's, it's multifaceted, uh, that phenomena in general, and my my ordeal, me and Tina's ordeal, told in both books, 
um, just adds to the, it, it answers questions, but it creates a lot more. I mean, it's really your, you take two steps uh, backwards with one step forward. It's really uh, interesting. That is. And I, I just have one last question for you. Um, d how do people pursue, like, do they ever think like, ah, I might catch your ghost. It might attach to me or your poltergeist. Like, have you noticed a change with your interactions with people? And, and are you and Tina at least still like friendly, you know, amicable? Um, that's, a good, that's a good question. I, I've, this, I've learned through this experience now going on, I don't know, six, eight years. Um, basically, um, I've lost a lot of friends when we were living in the Bothell home. Number one, they're never coming to the house. Uh, a f two of my friends who thought lighthearted of the incident, I mean, they came to the house, they made fun of the spirits, uh, didn't take it seriously. And we were all naive, naive at the beginning. Um, began having activity at their home. Oh. And they saw their marriage suffer and break up or a kid got ill. Oh, and no. They've not maintained a friendship since. I've not heard from them. I've reached out. I've gotten no email responses, no phone responses. They really, it's as if they disappeared on the face of the earth. They're still alive. They just... This, this, this is just a reality too much for them. And I understand it based on what I've seen. Also, I've had friends who, um, you know, they keep you at arm's length or distance or they don't, want, they don't want to talk about it or, you know, it's too weird for them. But then I have the flip side of those who are really interested, really intrigued. Um, typically somebody or a friend who's lost a relative uh, will ask me questions or, or things of that nature. Uh, me and Tina, we're, we're, I haven't talked to Tina in over, let's see, a year and a half. We're not enemies. We're not, we don't hate each other. We, we occasionally will bump into each other while out and about because we have the same social friends or we like the same things like we like to do. So I may see her out and about. Um, I know she's not having activity according to her for what she told me. Um, and that's good. That's good. I, I'm, 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 I'm glad she's not experiencing what I'm still experiencing. Uh, but other people like coworkers or people that I hang out with, um, the only people that I've noticed that have activity, I'm talking about now, ever since I moved out of the house, are the women that I've tried to date. Oh. Women that I've tried to date or get close to, you know, who find out, you know, because it's kind of hard for me to mention to them, hey, I used to live in a haunted house. You know, it's kind of, how do you say that in a conversation? But most women, <laughs> when I meet them, they Google your name after the first successful date. They're like, oh, you're a swell guy. You're, you're a cool guy. But they go home and jump on the internet and Google you. And they come back to me the next day and they like, did you used to live in a haunted house? And I know what they did. They Googled my name. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm honest. Then I'm honest with it because they've introduced it to the discussion. And then I tell them. And the second question they ask me, is it still bothering you or haunting you. And I'm not going to lie. I say, hey, this is what's still happening. This is what's still going on. And some, they don't give it a second thought. They say, well, oh, well, and they still want to get to know you. They still want to go on a date with you, have fun and whatnot. But usually after maybe two months, I get a text message saying, Keith, I woke up and all my kitchen cabinet doors are open. Or... 
he's my dog or cat pees the floor or they look at the corner of the house now they never used to do that uh one one of, one of my dates texted me she says the doorbell rings and i go up to the door and there's nobody there and then, then i never hear from them again oh no yeah i never hear from them again or the one date who saw was at my house and she saw the shadowy figure she saw it better than i did so we were watching a netflix movie and she was the one that was very cavalier when she found out about my house. She's like, there's nothing that can get me. God is my shield. And da, 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 da. She was a spirit. You know, they can go to hell. There's nothing. And I wanted to tell her, don't say that. You, I mean, have your belief. Have, it's okay to have your belief and have your shield around you. But don't get it all into the weeds of, oh, yeah, you know, it's, you know, no, y'all can't do nothing to me. Because then you're going to challenge them. And they love a challenge. They, they love a challenge. And they hear everything. So one day we're watching a movie and uh, the shadowy figure just runs across the room I mean, on the, in between us. It's between the, the couch and the love seat. And she saw it and she leaped up off the, the couch, you know, and it disappeared. And I saw it at the corner of my eye. And then she looked at said, did you see that? I'm like, yeah, oh, that's, no. that's them. And she said, is that them? I'm like, yeah, she was shook. I mean, she was visibly shaking the remainder of the night. And then, of course, the next day, she sends me this Dear John text letter about, you're a nice guy, da-da-da-da-da, but, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't go through that. And I understand, and I totally get it, and I understand, but I always tell people, seeing is believing. You can be cavalier as all as you want. When they reveal themselves to you, you're a cavalier, you're being braggadocious goes out the window. And it really humbles you because now you realize, and I have no problem telling people, we're not at the top of the spiritual food chain. We're not. Oh, that's a good way to put it. And they re- and they recognize that. And uh, so, yeah. That's, yeah, I have, I really love that. Um, I, I'm going to be using that and I will definitely credit where did I get that <laughs> oh okay but it's because true I, I, I believe that's true I do too I think a lot of people think they know what they're doing and whatever but you know what you're here they're there I think they kind of have a little bit of the upper hand <laughs> a little Let's bit, a little, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Oh, your keys are missing can you get them back <laughs> it's like you know where did your keys go Oh, I just set them here. Oh, they're in the netherworld now. Good luck getting them back. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. But you're an expert, so have fun. You know, exactly. experting you're an expert. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. But, um, well, I I guess I just have one other thing to say, though, in, in regards to the whole, you know, with the religion. That would be, I think, a little bit lonely because I, I haven't gone through a haunting like you at all. I haven't, I've had things happen, but not like what you're having with poltergeist activity but I had cancer and it's interesting people treat you different you know when you're going through it there's multiple levels and some people pull away and some people want to be helpful and some people could care less and you know it's (laughs) I I kind of relate to people going through something that other people can't it's not common I mean cancer is getting unfortunately more common but until you really lived it walked in those shoes it's hard so I always try I think that's what cancer's made me more humble and more appreciative of people that have 
unusual experiences because I don't I don't know I'm not walking that I don't know um, but I would yeah. think it would be so lonely in some respects but it's good because you're right the paranormal community you can have some really good people embrace you and not that they can you know help or cure it so to speak but at least you have somebody to talk to because I think that would be the hardest part to to not have you know a significant other or something to work yeah. it out with so yeah there is a um i mean i feel blessed number one number one i'm still alive i have my health I have my job i have my best friends i have my family um and i try to look at a glass half full versus half empty the information that was able to get from this house in this case is going to outlive me it's going to outlive Ghost Adventures and Steve Mary, anybody, and it will be viewed and looked at and hopefully analyzed for the years to come. Um, and hopefully one day somebody will be able to connect the dots as to, you know, what or how or why is this phenomenon? What is it exactly? But I'm just, I spoke in the will, if you will, of telling my story. And I'm always honest, I'm not sugarcoating, I will not pull punches with our ordeal. Three Bibles did catch fire, I would tell people over and over. Um, so they can make of it what they want to make of it because it's going to challenge these persons on belief system once they hear all the information. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive guy, and I think that's what's sort of still carrying me through. I can easily fold up, crawl under my bed, suck on, suck on my thumb, and, you know, grow long fingernails and long hair and... <laughs> People be like, what happened? What came of Keith Linder? Oh, that that Bothell house got to him. He, yeah, he never he never landed on two feet again after that. I could easily do that. Um, I thought of that. You know, when you have heartbeats relentlessly beating in your ear at two a.m. in the morning, and you got to be at work at six. Mm. So yeah, it, it does take its toll. But I, I just realized, no, you just got to keep trucking along. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, Rhonda, she's no longer with us, the previous house tenant. She did commit suicide oh. and was successful in her endeavor uh, because it just got too much uh, to bear. Uh, she never did land on two feet after that house. So the house has does, did claim a victim. There is a death associated uh, with that house. So um, oh, yeah. me, I feel blessed to say, and, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, do it for her, do it for myself, and do it for anybody else because you don't wish this on anybody, not even your worst enemy. And I know there are people because they come up to me and they're like, oh, I wish that happened to me, or I wish, can you give me the address of the house so I can go sleep on the porch or something? I'm like, listen, <laughs> you say that because you've been watching paranormal shows on TV. Nobody wants this stuff. Nobody who's lived through this is purposely wants this stuff. You say that now, but you, like me, need eight hours sleep. You, like me, need to eat. You, you're married. You got kids. Do you want to still be married? Do you want your marriage to dissolve, your kids to have a mysterious illness that your doctors can't explain? You want your medical bill to go up? You want all these things? So you don't take it all into account. You just take it looks cool on TV. Ah, it looks cool to go under a basement at 3 o'clock in the morning with a flashlight and a K-3 meter. That looks cool. That's not what this is. That's just TV talking to you. Stop saying you wish this happened to you because if it did, trust me, you would not last a few seconds. You just no. wouldn't. 
No. It's that's that is definitely and be careful what you wish for. Do not no you don't you don't want that. Mm -mm. You don't want wish her winning the lottery or something. That's a more positive one. That's more positive. Yeah. yeah. Miss that. I always miss that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> be helpful well, That's funny. Well, um, I won't keep you much longer. I just want to thank you so much for sharing, you know your story and coming on and talking to me and I, I really just appreciate your time very much oh thanks for uh having me and responding to my emails i know we had a uh, some a uh, lot of <laughs> back and forward but we got it done we did i was a little bit i i'm not on twitter that much and i always forget <laughs> to check the messages and i'm like oh my gosh this guy's gonna think i'm a space cadet which i am but i'm not quite that bad <laughs> That was bad. So anyway, thank you for being patient with me. Oh, no problem. That was wonderful. It was a good uh, back and forth today. I'm glad we talked. You've been listening to Haunt Johns, a podcast for restless spirits. My name is Courtney Maroc, and it's been my pleasure to be your host and guide for this journey. I snagged the music, Phantom from Space, from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. If you'd like to continue exploring beyond the podcast, jaunt with me online anytime at hauntjaunts.net. Or if you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to Haunt Jaunts wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also jaunt with me socially on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, You'll find links to all of Haunt John's social media on the website, as well as a player on the podcast page with all of the episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until our paths cross again, ciao for now.